My name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. Welcome to Every Outfit. I just, on the top of the show, I want to say that I'm getting over a cold. So if my voice sounds even more whack than usual, that is why. So no need to write reviews about it. We're (laughs) aware. I'd ask you how you are, Chelsea, but we spent all week together. We did. We did. We went to the desert. Palm Desert. Palm Desert for a belated birthday celebration for Lauren. Yes. Palm Desert, not to be confused with Palm Springs. Yeah. I'd never been to Palm Desert before. Like Palm Springs, it's just beautiful desert landscapes. Um, But there aren't gay people there. Yeah, it was a vaguely Trumpian. There were a lot of like middle-aged men playing golf with just masks underneath their nose. Yeah, that was kind of the vibe. And Uh, also, Palm Desert is notable because it is where actually the Kardashian desert house is, not Palm Springs. Don't let the tabloids fool you. They lie to you about that. I don't know why. It's not like Palm Desert is shitty, but we resisted the urge to actually drive up to the gate. Because we don't want to be full-blown stalkers. We Even we have limits. Yeah, and also at what point is this podcast just going to be used as evidence against us in some sort of uh, stalker? And- <laughs> yeah, at what point will, will all of the Kardashian security guards like have photos of us on iPads? <laughs> well, we'll get into more Kardashian stuff later, obviously. But this week we actually have some Sex in the City news. TV Line reported that there will be six new friends entering into Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda's friend group, three of whom will be women of color. This is yet to be confirmed by HBO or anyone involved in the series, although it's certainly consistent with rumors that we've been hearing for a while now. It's a new era. They're going to need to get a, a bigger table at the diner. Yeah, I mean, Casey Bloys, who's the uh, chief content officer at HBO Max, has previously said that it's going to reflect how friendships grow and the idea that the people that you're friends with in your 30s aren't necessarily the people you're friends with in your 50s. And this was. Yeah, I'm definitely going to shed you once I get to my 50s. (laughs) Bye, bitch. So mean. (laughs) Joking. But, like, that's such a rude thing to say. It's like we're friends in our 30s, you know? Yeah. Either that or we'll get platonic married, which we'll get into later in this episode. (laughs) Jesus Christ. But definitely setting the groundwork that they're going to have different friend groups, which absolutely makes sense, right? Charlotte's got two kids who are probably going to be teenagers at this point on the Upper East Side. You have Carrie, who's single, doing her writer thing. And then you've got... Well, we don't know that she's single, but we suspect that she's single. Might soon become single. But just geographically, Miranda living in Brooklyn with her teenage son, like that's a whole okay. different lifestyle. Don't think about like the the geography of it. It was already unrealistic enough that Miranda would be coming all the way into Manhattan just for like a casual Sunday brunch at the well, diner. Well, it also makes no sense that for the first few seasons, all of them live above not even 14th Street, but above 50th Street. And they somehow always went to a diner in Soho. I mean, I can't imagine that all of these new cast members are going to be in the diner scenes. They said three are going to be full-fledged series regulars. Yeah, I mean, but they may replace Samantha with a woman of color, but I imagine that some of these women are going to be specific to certain plot lines. Like, one might be Carrie's divorce lawyer, or... Allegedly. Yeah, or one might be... Stanford, like a Stanford Blatch level friend. Ooh, like a Billy Porter? 
Well, no, I don't mean like that. I mean someone that's Carrie's friend, but not close enough to be invited to the diner. As you can see, we... <laughs> like we, justice for Stanford. He's known this bitch for like 20 years, and she's like never once invited him. To the diner. Do you think he ever just was like, I know those bitches are in Soho, and then maybe I just happen to be shopping at the same time they're at the diner, and like his little face is pressed up against that window? Stanford's like, you know what? I need to pick up some uh, new floral shirts at Scoop for Men. <laughs> Let's start our, our fan casting and fan fiction about who we think these three new cast members are going to be. Well, my first thought for a replacement for Samantha is Tracy Ellis Ross, because she's the right age. She's a fantastic comedic actress, which I think is the most important thing. And she can go toe to toe with SJP in the fashion department. That's very true. Also, she's the right level of famous. Like, it would be weird if they replaced Kim Cattrall with J-Lo or something. I think Tracy Ellis Ross is perfect. Who would she be? Carrie's editor? (sighs) Carrie's divorce lawyer, allegedly? I mean, that would be cool. I don't know. I hope she's just a fabulous New York lady with a fabulous job and a fabulous wardrobe. I hope they're all on their same level and not what they did in the movies. It's their assistant. It's their assistant who has to, like, rent their Louis Vuitton bags. (laughs) I want Tracy Ellis Ross's character to be rich as fuck. Yes, and make Carrie uncomfortable about her fashion sense for the first time. Or do they bring Lucy Liu back and she's into the group and they can all bond over their mutual distrust of Samantha. Lucy Liu's like, I tried to tell you bitches. And she's got the Birkin. (laughs) That outfit holds up. The The Jador Dior tank. With a red Birkin. Yeah. I mean, another thing that occurred to me about the casting is that one of these women has to be a lesbian. Like, they can't all be straight. Oh, and and who might the one be? (laughs) Well, okay, the lesbian lesbian character could be one of the white women. Anyone that's followed our Instagram account knows that Lauren and I have been shipping Miranda and Tignataro as a couple for literally years now. Or they could cast Lena Waithe as Miranda's girlfriend. That would be a glow up. Steve who? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about that. Okay, for for Charlotte, I will be so intrigued as to what the Charlotte storyline could possibly be and yeah. if they're indeed going to make her woke. And does she have a Latinx P- PTA mom friend? Well, y- they have to cast someone Hispanic, especially given the racial demographics of New York City. It doesn't really make sense to not have someone in the cast, but You know, it's sad. It can't be Penelope Cruz because they already wasted her on an under five role in Sex and the City 2. We we were talking about this when we were away (laughs) together, which was like, she's way too famous for a cameo in that movie, right? A thousand percent. Her cameo served no discernible purpose apart from making Carrie insecure about her marriage with Big. Which is undone because she's the one that actually transgresses within the marriage. If one considers kissing a transgression. Well, I'm excited to see who they cast. When we hear it, we'll be bringing you the news. Yes, we will. Oh, yeah, there's also sex, more Sex in the City news, which is that Jason Lewis, a.k.a. the absolute hunk, a.k.a. Jerry Jared, a.k.a. Smith Jared, told Page Six that he's hasn't been asked back. Well, why would he? Did they finally figure out? Maybe not the best actor. Or did they see that TikTok that his neighbor posted where he was like shooting at her with an air gun, which happened a couple months ago? Wait, I missed that. Yeah. There's no reason, really, without, especially without Samantha, like for what? A lot of working actors made their way through this series over the six years it was on, and I feel bad for any of them who are currently promoting projects, which it seems like most of them, from like Justin Thoreau to Chris Noe to John Corbett, because of course they're going to be asked about this. 
My Sex and the City was like, it follows if, if you're an actor. My question is, why is no one asking if Jennifer Coolidge is going to come back? I know. That was an iconic guest starring role. See, that's a good under five. Billie Eilish debuted her new look on the June cover of British Vogue, and this new era is very pin-up-y. I liked it. I think for a magazine cover, there's nothing more impactful than a celebrity makeover reveal. And to me, this feels like the biggest one we've had actually since Caitlyn Jenner's Vanity Fair cover, which incidentally had the exact same pin-up girl concept. I feel like with celebrity portraiture, the pinup girl concept is very ubiquitous. We've seen Madonna, Katy Perry, literally everyone. Pink, Christina Aguilera. Yeah, do shoots that fall somewhere on the spectrum between Vargas Girl and Betty Page. But like the Caitlyn Jenner cover, this works because Billy's the last person who you would expect to go this route. I'm just curious if she is going to continue to go this route. And reading the article, I have to give it to Billy for committing to this reveal because even when she went to the Grammys this year, like she dyed her hair somewhere in February and had wore wigs, basically. She was wearing a wig during the Grammys. That's why she had a hat over her head. She revealed her hair on Instagram and then this new look on the cover, which is obviously signifying what the new album is going to be. I don't, I don't quite know. Yeah, well, she needed to switch up the hair. The hair was getting a little old, in my opinion. But I don't know, maybe she's going to pull a Madonna and she's just going to have a new look for every album. Or maybe this is a random one-off thing. Who knows? Well, she's definitely feeling herself. The backlash was understandable. She even predicted that. She assumes the response is going to be, if you're about body positivity, why would you wear a corset? Why wouldn't you show your actual body? To which she responded, my thing is that I can do whatever I want, which is true. Her body looks great, by the way. And she's 19, so I can say that. Like, the tits are huge. It's crazy. I think the response that I didn't quite understand was as if she was, like, duped into doing this editorial. And it's like, no, she brought this concept to Edward Edenfall. These are custom pieces. The styling was very good. I think a lot of it was the color palette, too. Like, if it had been all black latex, that would have been a different vibe. It might have been too dark or too sexual or whatever. But this was all, like, nudes, blush tones. It all looked very Gautier, although none of it was Gautier. It was all custom Gucci, Burberry. She wore the slutty ice skater Mugler outfit that we've been talking about. You know, I think that society has a hard time dealing with women who kind of rebel against the patriarchal idea of feminine sexuality by participating in it. You can do both things at once. I think a lot about Megan Fox, just her general existence. (laughs) Do you? And, you know, in regards to this, yeah. One thing about this is embracing this particular direction, you do run the risk of looking generic if you continue with it. Because like I said, every other pop star has done some approximation of this look 10,000 times. Billy's original look was completely unique. I'm curious if this is going to carry over into her Met Gala look. Oh my God, what a wonderful transition. This week it was announced that she, along with Timothy Chalamet, poet and it girl Amanda Gorman, and uh, tennis phenom Naomi Osaka will all be the co-chairs for the In America, a lexicon of fashion Met Gala that is set to open September 18th. Which I originally thought that this was a lot of co-chairs, but I went back and looked and in recent years, it's become this thing, de facto thing where it has to be like four to six co-chairs and like the magic sauce seems to be designer, 
pop star, someone in the zeitgeist, and like a sports star. Being the host at the Met Gala mostly entails standing on the top of the stairs and shaking people's hands, which I guess they can't even do this year because of yeah. COVID. Um, and I guess participating in a press conference before. Which seems really unfun to me. Like, I imagine that this is actually Billie Eilish's nightmare to just have to greet celebrities for hours. The other thing about it is you get that additional coverage from Vogue, and I'm pretty sure that Anna Wintour has to approve your outfit, if not facilitate its creation from the beginning. I saw in the article about this, for the first time I saw what the dress code for this year's Met Gala will be classified as, and it's uh, inspired by American independence. I mean, I'm excited to see Timothy, obviously. I think everyone is. Billy, she's never done the Met Gala before. Now that she has this hair, I don't know. Is she going to go full Marilyn? She could. Is she going to dress up like Kirsten Dunst from, what was that, Drop Dead Gorgeous? Oh, God. I don't really know Naomi Osaka because I dislike sports. <laughs> but now that she's a sweet green brand ambassador, she's on my radar. She's great. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting. Again, I think of like in 2019, the co-chairs were Alessandro Michele, Harry Styles, Lady Gaga, and Serena Williams. I was trying to think of like what year had the hooiest collection of people, and I think it was 2015's China Through the Looking Glass, which was Jennifer Lawrence, which is someone that always looks good in, in a dress, but not someone I consider a fashion icon, but whatever. Gong Li, who's a Chinese actress, and then Marissa Mayer, the former CEO of Yahoo!, and Wendy Murdoch. Ooh, yikes. Uh, yeah, I think you that- don't want to see that. Those that crew on top of the steps. <laughs> Will you walk back down those steps <laughs> in reverse? You're like, uh, maybe not. Yeah. Of course, Amanda Gorman is a timely choice. There's if the Venn diagram of like it girl and went to Harvard is like that's like a very small group of people. Nat- so, Natalie Portman. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. Uh, it that makes they would sense. choose her. Yeah. But I don't understand, and excuse this uh, gross phrasage, but I don't understand why they're blowing their load on this baby met that they're doing, which they might not even be able to do a red carpet or the gala. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a strategy, but I don't know what it is. I think it's probably as simple as they need to get people to the museum now. Like in theory, it just wait until May and just skip a year, do the whole thing. But in actuality, they need people to go to the Met. Yes, and whether you like it or not, of which there's been much debate over the years, this thing brings people through the doors. It does. I mean, these fashion exhibitions, the Alexander McQueen exhibit was one of the most attended exhibits in the history of not the co- just the Costume Institute, the entire museum. Yeah. Do you think they're going to have a moment of silence for the 2020 Met Gala that never happened? The time one? Yes, because I think about... So just... So you know, guys, designers spend uh, tens of thousands of dollars and months creating these looks. And so we were told that there were designers who were 50, 60 grand in the whole designing dresses for the Met Gala that never happened. That should be the exhibit. (laughs) Just all of the clothes that none of the celebs got to wear. I think out of respect, they should do one minute of silence. Like on the carpet? Anywhere. Love that. And then the Fashion Week train continues to trickle out. This week, uh, Virgin Varad presented the Chanel Resort collection, which, according to Hamish Bull's nearly a thousand-word review on Vogue Runway, was inspired by everything from Jean Cocteau's Testament of Orpheus to the mod and punk subcultures to Stella Tennant. 
I don't know. The collection featured Chanel's signature tweed, some of which was 100% sustainable. Uh, Take that for what you will. Okay, fuck these people. Like, (laughs) think of the carbon footprint for your average Chanel show. Like, fuck right off. Also, why is there a resort collection with 66 fucking looks? That doesn't offend me, but when I saw the show, something clicked for me, which is that I don't care about Chanel anymore. I don't. Like, I. No (laughs) Chanel. Yeah. I obviously, like, I can see that Coco Chanel and Karl Lagerfeld and this chick are incredible designers, but I I just don't care anymore. I don't ever need to see another tweed suit with pearls again. I just don't. It's the same every season, which is fine, but... No, 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 Chelsea. This time there were crochet and macrame capes. Well, this time they also, like, discovered graphic tees. Oh, you know what I don't want, Chelsea? I don't want Chanel trying to do streetwear. Please, please, please stop. Well, it wasn't streetwear. It was just, like... It was their version of it. It was just... Yeah. It's like, do you want a crocheted Chanel-esque tracksuit? Because you're going to get it. I just feel like the fashion industry has gaslit me into caring about Chanel or thinking, not caring about Chanel, but thinking that it's the most important brand, right? Which I think most people do. But that's because everyone in the fashion industry wants to go to their shows and attend their parties and getting on those PR lists is what people care about. I mean, myself included, like I interned at their PR office in New York for a year when I was in college. I drank the Kool-Aid. Now I've been deprogrammed. Obviously, Vogue favors certain designers, which is why I was referencing that Hamish Bull's review is a thousand words. And it's a fucking word salad where it's like, Obviously inspired by this Jean Cocteau film. And did you know Coco Chanel and Jean Cocteau were friends? And mod and punk. Um, yeah, it's like, it's not that deep. You're just making tweed jackets. Again. Just because there's black and white doesn't mean it's fucking mod. Well, that's the other thing about Chanel shows. The styling of this, you could say punk because they're wearing fishnets, fishnets or mod because they're wearing miniskirts. But I think most of that is in the styling. Yeah, it also, there's one look, I think maybe one of the most successful looks, which is just like a classic Chanel tweed jacket and skirt. The model is holding the jacket and she's wearing a black and white striped tube top, which it just reminded me very much of when Kira Knightley first became the muse. Like it felt very 2003 when she's promoting. Well, she's so Chanel because yeah. she's flat chested and all they want to do is dress like thin white ingenues. They're the opposite of Gucci in terms of who they want to loan to. It's like they want some bitch with like three IMDb credits that has buzz. Literally, though. For what they're trying to go for, and again, I know you weren't offended by it, but the 66 looks offended me. One, because it's resort. Like, they're literally, it feels like a Chanel collection a month ago. And also, it felt like, you know when you have to write a paper... And it's like a thou- it's 2,000 words and you've only gotten 1,800. And you're like, and therefore, what I was saying previously to this is a lot of the outfits felt like that where they're like, um, black and white dress, white caftan. Okay, well, I like that I, that they had caftans, obviously. Of course you did. Well, they never have caftans. They never have anything. They don't have like that much variety in their silhouette also, which is, which is another issue entirely. Her shows have less looks than Karl Lagerfeld. And that I kind of dislike because the filler looks at for Lagerfeld Chanel are crazy especially also they don't have the male models wearing crazy shit anymore which was such a big part of the camp value also where's that little boy that was like his muse they should bring him back is he like hot now is he like Timothy well Timothy will play him when Ryan Murphy invariably makes a prestige limited series about Karl Lagerfeld's life yeah 
also, I want to make the point that nothing is grosser than a Chanel perfume. That's like real old lady shit right there. A Chanel number five smells terrible. Yeah. We'll just put that out there. Well, not just Chanel number five. Mademoiselle. No, I actually, I don't mind Mademoiselle. Anyway, I can't wait for six weeks from now when Prefall comes out. I'm over it. I'm shadow banning Chanel on the podcast after this. So now for some showbiz stuff. This week, Janet Mock spoke her truth at the season premiere of the FX series Pose, where she has worked as a writer, director, and executive producer. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Janet, before she moved into television and very famously got a multi-million overall deal with Netflix, she wrote a couple of best-selling books about her experience as a trans woman. She's very it girl. She's very fashion. I'm a fan, which is why I'm so obsessed with this story. You sent it to me. I did. To my delight, knowing knowing that I would love it. Thinking that you had already heard about this. But yeah, she, she went on stage unasked, unprovoked, it seemed, at the socially distanced Pose premiere and started to go off on Ryan Murphy. Yeah, for not putting trans women in the writer's room for the first few episodes. And she said something, I don't know if it was directed at him or directed at Hollywood or the show in general, but she basically said, you guys have stomped on the trans women of color on the show. She expressed displeasure at her own salary, saying like, why am I making $40,000 a motherfucking episode? huh do you know who i am that's iconic it is but i saw the the reaction commentary on the internet and they were like wow to make forty thousand the entire season that's terrible and then yeah, i was like, like oh oh wait i'm sorry forty thousand over 10 episodes yeah so that's 400k uh, i can do math i mean less yeah well, agents i i get it but also the thing that i don't quite understand is she has a executive producer fee a writer's fee for any episode she writes and her director's fee so that she's not just getting 40 grand an episode yeah i I mean, I I have no idea how much she should be making or how this works at all. I just know that you can't say shit like that in front of the crew. Yeah. And the cast who, you know, a lot of, I'm sure like the top tier girls are making more than that per episode, but the lower tier actors are probably making less than that. And that, you know, I would be pissed off if I was them. Also, I would be pissed off if I was her boyfriend who, I mean, this was the most outlandish part of it. She basically admitted to cheating on her boyfriend, who's an actor on Pose, with a member of the crew. It's real messy. Well, I think there's something satisfying about this because we see this kind of thing in movies and television a lot where people are accepting award or supposed to give an important speech and they go off script, you know, like Hugh Grant in Love Actually or Fiona Apple's VMA acceptance speech. This had the tone of that for sure. And it's also just because she's so glamorous and so poised and like this woman has the best posture I've ever seen. That's when it's surprising to hear her curse this much and all of that. I also think she's done the correct thing, which after this is she has not commented on it. There's no apology to her. Yes, icon. I think a couple days after she posted photos of her in her outfit from the premiere, which is like this insane Versace chainmail dress. And the caption just says Versace. And she looks incredible. Yeah, do you remember that Seinfeld episode where I think George quits and then he comes back on Monday as if he didn't quit? Yeah. That's the way to do it. It's just like, that didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. She's genius. I'm sure that the trans women of color in the cast 
were underpaid. You know, if you're an actor, there's so many factors that go into how much you make per episode and precedent is a lot of that. If you've been a series regular on another show, if you're a name, etc. But when you're a trans woman of color, it's hard to establish precedent when their roles aren't there or people are hiring cis people to play them. However, if you're the gaffer who makes 40 grand a year or less, hearing her talk about how, why is she only making a 40 grand an episode on a 10 episode run? That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Well, it's also, she's saying fuck Hollywood when she's literally gotten to the point of the success level in Hollywood that everyone in this town aspires to, which is... And she worked on a show for Netflix called Hollywood. Yeah, is that what she was talking about? She's like, Ryan Murphy, you made me fucking work on Hollywood. (laughs) Anyway, love you, Janet, if you're listening. What else do we have? Well, on Saturday, the New York Times published an article about the rise of platonic marriages. (laughs) The piece written by Danielle Braff detailed how increasingly friends are marrying each other to fulfill the emotional and economic labor of a relationship without the, you know, kissing and sex part. Lauren, are you ready to take our relationship to the next level? I think your literal wife would have an issue with that. I feel like all of these chicks like really took it to heart when Charlotte York said, Maybe we could be each other's soulmates. And then we could let men be just these great, nice guys to have fun with. I mean, she's not wrong. I can tell you from from being in these uh, online dating streets, maybe Charlotte had the right idea. So all the people interviewed in this article were women, except for I think one of them was non-binary. And all of them are some configuration of asexual. Aromantic. Pansexual. I didn't know what aromantic was until I read this article. Did you? Yeah. As someone who's like been on Tumblr for a while, (laughs) I've I've definitely heard that phrase. It's people who hate romance. Uh, And Demisexuals, which are people who can only, I think, be sexual if they have emotional feelings. Right. Which I thought was just women, but I guess not. Totally. Actually, being aromantic isn't people that hate romance. They just can't feel it in the same way that asexual people can't feel any sort of sexual desire. Is this the like the truth about cats and dogs-esque aromantic romantic comedy we should be pitching to Netflix? Maybe. Okay, hear me out. (laughs) Tessa Thompson, I thought about this last night. It's Tessa Thompson and Alison Brie as gal pals who are tired of the millennial dating scene who marry each other and live their platonic cottagecore dream until, uh uh-oh, one of them meets the trans man of their dreams. (laughs) Played by Elliot Page. Oh, God. Don't bring Elliot Page into this. Spoiler alert, it ends in the throuple. Oh, my God. Someone probably is optioning this article as we speak. I Okay, on one hand, I do think it's freakish. I understand being close with your best friend. I think the thing I specifically I think is freakish is the fact that a lot of these people are having like traditional wedding ceremonies. They sleep in the same bed. They give each other good night kisses. Like imagine if we gave each other a good night kiss. We Tat would freak out. We can't even hug. My wife has this thing. My wife has this thing where when Lauren and I hug, she finds it so awkward to watch that she gets like mild anxiety. No, she also says that we don't hug correctly, that we're awkward human beings hugging each other. Right. Maybe we are aromantic. That aspect of it is freaky, but... On the other hand, should sexual attraction really be the only determining factor 
for who we choose to raise children with or merge our assets with. To be fair, we essentially have a platonic marriage already, except yeah. we live in, in separate homes. We, we have a legal bond. Yeah, we have a business together. We just <laughs> for when we get those cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> we slept in a bed together once. Do you remember when we went? Yeah. We went to Palm Springs after we got our book deal. You were so uncomfortable. <laughs> We put a pillow, between, or I put a pillow between To be fair, it was like a king-size bed. That's true. Uh, but you turned to me the next morning, you said, I miss sleeping with someone in the bed. Totally. I do. I do. I don't like sleeping alone. I am surprised that this article doesn't feature two straight women who are just fucking over-dating who married each other. A lot of them have volatile love lives and want to start families, and they'd rather do it with their best friend than some random aromantic person. Okay, I'm, wait, that I don't get because it's like you want to fuck, but you don't have any feelings. Like, isn't that just being like a sociopath? I mean, I think that's just most men who are dating right now, personally. Watch the aromantic community come for us. Oh, I, this, we're already going to get so many comments about this. But I don't know. I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a friendship. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to... Well, look, it's like a lot of families, a lot of marriages are asexual anyway. That is true. And a lot of situations where people uh, where raising children are involved, a lot of times it isn't just parents, it's family members that are raising this kid. It's, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, that book, Sex at Dawn, gets into the idea that we used to raise children as a community, as a village. So it's, it's not... That's not the worst idea. I think it's really... The, the wedding aspect like this yeah. this seems to be the gender reveal of platonic uh marriages it's like have your marriage but it's like why do why are you registered to create in peril yeah exactly the argument against gay marriage has always been like oh it's gonna lead to uh people wanting to marry dogs and cats and sheep and shit but actually it's gay marriage has paved the way for these platonic marriages to exist out of the Sex and the City foursome, who do you think would have been the best together in a platonic marriage? I say Charlotte and Miranda. Yeah, Charlotte, of course. Yeah. There's no other, there's no other, there's no other answer for that. There isn't. <laughs> Everything else is a chaotic mess. Honestly, Carrie probably should have married Miranda. Moanda. Moanda. Carrie kind of also platonically married herself in that episode, uh, A Woman's Right to Shoes. Yeah. Her registry was just a pair of Manolo Blahniks. If only we could read her, Carrie's column about the aromantic <gasps> community. And just like that. <laughs> <sighs> it's that time again. Kardash, a holics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so this week I got an email with the subject line, no boys in girls sports. <laughs> which is a bit out of character for my inbox, which is usually work stuff or like emails like your czar return has been processed, you know, that sort of thing. And of course, this email was from Caitlyn Jenner, who does not believe that trans women or girls should be able to compete in women's sports. So that happened. Would you <laughs> so we know a bit about her platform now. Which, as I was driving to Palm Desert, you sent me a text message that said, I just forwarded you an email, read it, and it was this Caitlyn Jenner Ugh, email. Yeah, I mean, this has been some an issue that a lot of conservatives have become hysterical about in recent months. There's been a lot of bills that have been introduced in various states. And it's fucked up because it mostly affects non-professional athletes. Like, it mostly affects some trans girl that just wants to be on her 
high school track team. It's it's dumb. And of course, Caitlyn Jenner has a terrible take. Also, Caitlyn Jenner is looked at as as a source on this is the problem as well of like, well, Caitlyn said it, so it must be true. Yeah. Who's going to counter this point? Well, yeah, I mean, she's an Olympian. Uh, Is she going to be on Joe Rogan? Oh, God, probably. If she's on Joe Rogan, you are going to be the one that has to listen to that because I was the one that watched her Fox News town hall with Sean Hannity. And that was, I don't think I watched the entire thing. I just watched maybe 20 minutes worth of clips. And in our document, I love, because we do an outline every week, you just have parentheses, yes, I watched it. (laughs) Okay, well... First of all, when you hear the words town hall, I just naturally think of a town hall with a small town's worth of people. This was attended by the amount of people that are in your average Starbucks, like at any given time, all decked out in their Caitlin for California merch. I I was curious to watch it because, again, I want to know more about her platform. I didn't learn that much. She doesn't have a platform well she talked about she talked about the trans woman in sports thing again uh she talked about you think people in california we have the sixth largest economy in the world i know but not according to caitlin jenner caitlin jenner thinks this place is like a third world country basically she's very concerned about the economy she's very concerned about the rights of small business owners all my friends are leaving for Stona. Yeah, exactly. I was, Literally. I, I, yes, I saw I saw that clip where she was like, I was at an air I was at my airplane hangar and my friend was le- first of all, this is the most made up story. Not that I don't believe that Caitlin knows someone with their own plane, but also it's like, so you were at an airplane hangar, ran into a friend you knew who was moving everything they owned themselves in a single engine plane to Arizona? Yeah, that was that struck me as odd as well. I wish she was just honest and she's like, rich people are leaving California and that's a problem. Yeah. I don't care about making middle class or working class people's lives better. We got to keep the rich here. Well, also, she doesn't really have any strategy for achieving anything apart oh, from surrounding herself with the smartest people in the world, which... You, you know why she doesn't have any strategy? Because Chris is not in her life anymore. Yeah, that's true. Chris, would Chris have brought str- the strategy. She was very like, I'm against illegal immigration. I don't want California to be a sanctuary oh, state. Yeah. I- I'd build that wall again. I, yeah, I want to build the wall. But at the same time, she's like, I know a guy who's illegal, who's been here illegally for 20 years, and there's no path to citizenship for him. And he's the nicest guy. So we should try and make that happen. But then she's also like, yeah, I love ICE. Well, but this also tracks with what we've seen Caitlyn's behavior be on the Kardashians. Do you remember when Caitlyn was transitioning and Chloe and Chris and Courtney and Kim, you know, multiple, even Kendall and Kylie are like, you never told us you were transitioning. And she was like, yeah, I did. And they're yeah. like, I think we would have remembered that. Well, one thing that I can't help but think about is obviously Kim has very recently gone through the stress of Kanye running for president, which was apparently, which has widely been reported as the straw that broke the camel's back in their marriage. So when you think about it like that, it does seem very shitty of Caitlyn to then do the same thing, basically. I saw someone on Twitter make the point. I haven't been watching the season of the Kardashians that closely, but I guess there's a scene where Caitlyn calls up Chris and is like, I'm so bored. What should I do? And they were making the point of like, if fucking Chris suggested that Caitlyn run for a governmental (laughs) office. It's like legit the worst thing ever. 
Did you watch the episode of the Kardashians last night? No, I missed it. But the one where they're talking about whether they should do continue the series, which is anticlimactic because we know they don't. We know they don't. And also they proved they gave no explanations for why they were ending the series. They were basically just like, you know, it makes sense. But they weren't like, well, Kim doesn't want, you know, her divorce stuff to be public. Uh, Chris knows that she can get more money from streaming services than from E. Like, Courtney's the only one who's been up front and saying, like, I literally just do not want to work. Yeah, which, you know, I'm I'm now, my, the tide's turning with me on, on Courtney. It's yeah, like, I'm, it's true. I, I, I'm liking her... Um, more a new era more and more well i mean chris is a smart businesswoman she can't say that we're fed up she can't say we have nothing left to say because how are you supposed to get that juicy juicy hulu deal yeah well she also can't say we actually just can't do another season where we just whole weird pranks on each other and do family obstacle course games and there's so much filler on the kardashians yeah my my hot tip for people and this is what i learned a couple of years ago is the e-channel does these keeping up with the kardashian catch-ups with a k on their youtube channel and it's like two to three minutes and it's literally the only pertinent parts of an episode it's 45 minute episode that really only two to three minutes of important stuff happens yeah no it's it, it actually is um it is great it is how we all should watch the kardashians um so a little chloe and tristan update this week sydney chase sydney chase the girl that tristan allegedly cheated on chloe with published an instagram story right that was basically a screenshot of chloe dming her so the first message said hey it's chloe the second message was can we please keep this private prayer hands emoji and she almost immediately deleted that instagram story but it was captured by the shade room who reposted it but I've seen some conjecture of people thinking it's fake because she didn't show what she showed was a screen cap of her phone's homepage, basically, as if she got a push notification from Chloe. And a lot of people have said that maybe if it really was Chloe, that her, you know, verified check mark would have showed up or what have you. But this also tracks because it just came out through TMZ that Tristan Thompson's lawyer, Marty Singer, has been sending sent a cease and desist to Sydney Chase herself, but also is basically calling her bluff, which is if these alleged texts exist, show them, reveal them. I don't know who to believe. I mean, I I hope that this chick is just slandering Tristan. That's such bad karma. I mean, we're bitches, but we do believe in karma. I just don't I just don't want it to be true for Chloe's sake, obviously. Um, but could you imagine if it wasn't true? True. That's the daughter's name. I forget. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine if he kept just being like, it's not true, and like true waddles into the room? <laughs> but that's got to be so... Oh, that's even worse for Chloe because it's like, does she take his side because she did all the other times when he did cheat on her? But what if he didn't cheat on her and she told him to fuck off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no, ultimately for the best, but... In other Kardashian news, Kendall launched a series of videos with Vogue about anxiety called Open Minded, uh, where she's basically talking to different mental health experts about anxiety, which is something that she's been plagued with since, uh, I think she said, you know, childhood. Uh, Yeah. Do you remember the part of the Kardashians when she started modeling and she was like, I just wake up in hotel rooms or airplanes with night terrors? 
sounds terrible. But this goes, I, I think it's great that she's doing this. There's so many young people that have anxiety that look up to her. And it seems like a good way to utilize Vogue's resources. But at the same time, this reminded me of that point that you made. I don't know if it was on the podcast or uh, just in our lives. in our private conversations about the fact that why is Kendall starting a tequila company when she could be jumping on the CBD bandwagon and doing some sort of beverage or gummy or some sort of anti-anxiety vape pen? Yeah. You know, like the one I'm currently smoking. I don't necessarily align Kendall with any form of spirits, whether it be tequila, vodka, or uh, whiskey. What I do associate with her is fucking having night terrors. Night terrors, sleep paralysis, which I also have. There's nothing like waking up and not being able to open your eyes or move your body. When you finally are able to break free of sleep paralysis, <laughs> have, a, have a doll, a Ken doll. Uh. I also found it interesting that she's just a full face of contoured, flawless makeup during these interviews. Well, also, I thought it was really funny. She was talking to some mental health expert, and this office was so not her office. This was like a Vogue location. This was like some architectural digest shit. The set was dressed with gorgeous, like minimalist flower arrangement. Um, anyway, I look forward to keeping up with that. In other news... Keeping up with Kendall's mental health. Since this is real estate related, I'll let you uh, take over. Oh my God. Chris and Chloe are building side-by-side mansions. And what we mean by that is they purchased two lots of land that was originally one. They each purchased it separately, then tore down whatever wall separated them and are building two gigantic 18,000 and 20,000 square foot mansions next to each other. And as someone that has a codependent relationship with their parents, hi mom and dad, they listen every episode. Mm-hmm. I was Hi Kathy, <laughs> hi Andy. I was discussing with this with them and it's like, we would never, one because it's so wasteful it's like why do you both have to build fucking movie theaters it's true can't you share a movie theater i've noticed that chris's house there's one side of it that has a second story but for the most part and same i believe with kim's house they're all one-story structures like they're building eighteen thousand square foot one-story homes which is interesting yeah. Uh, for Chris, as you know, she gets older. If this is her forever home, having a one story house yeah, makes sense. That's but... great. And you can move MJ right in if you need to. Yeah, you need an MJ wing. <sighs> yeah. Would you live in side by side estates with your mom? I mean, sure. If, if we can move into those Kardashian houses, a thousand percent. Really? But I don't think my parents want to live in LA. All right, guys, we've come to the end of the Kardashian segment. So that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed. There's always the show notes, which are available if you just scroll down on your episode. You can see everything we're talking about and tune in next week when we talk about, I don't know, Elon Musk's SNL <laughs> appearance. Is he the musical guest? He might. He, he and his <laughs> rockets might uh, rocket Miley off that stage. Oh my God. Why isn't Grimes the musical guest? It's true. It should either be... Miley well, doing both. Yeah. Why is Miley not doing both? That's that's the real question. You know why? I think she's trying to get in with him when the uh, environmental apocalypse finally happens. She'll be on that rocket to Mars with him. She's thinking ahead, actually. Smart on She'll Miley. be in some mosquito outfit rocketing <laughs> off to Mars. Anyway, guys, until that time, we love you. Love you. Thank you for listening as always. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>